Suddenly, Bayou let out a dreadful cry, jumped two or three feet into the air, and began to shout and babble deliriously. Dayu and the maids were terrified and ran to tell Lady Wang and Grandmother Jia. By the time they had arrived, he had already tried several times to kill himself and was raving like a madman. His mother and grandmother were so stricken by the sight that for a few moments they stood mute and trembling. Then, breaking into loud weeping, they cried out to him piteously between their sobs. While they were still wondering what to do with Baoyu, Xi Feng appeared, brandishing a gleaming knife in one hand and attacking whatever came in her path. She had already massacred several luckless dogs and hens, and now, seeing people ahead, glared at them madly and would have rushed upon them too, had not a few hefty and resourceful women servants advanced upon her while the others looked on helplessly, clasped her about the arms and body, wrested the knife from her hand, and carried her off to her room. side. We turn to a, a, a scene, I think a couple of days later, uh, where a few of the members of the family are sitting around drinking tea and, you know, just just chatting. Um, you know, just sort of at, at ease, as you would. Uh, so we have Bao Yu, our central character, Wang Xifeng, who we've mentioned, Li Wan, who's Bao Yu's older brother's wife, his older brother Jia Zhu having died already, um, and we also have Xue Bao Chai, so Bao Yu's mm-hmm. cousin and love interest, and then we have his other cousin and love interest, Lin Daiyu, arrive. You know, I think it's important to uh, to frame this as the narration begins with Daiyu and she's sort of enjoying the kind of a natural scene. She's in the garden. She's observing uh, blooming flowers and singing birds and so on and so forth. We've gotten the sense before that Daiyu is feeling kind of perpetually um, excluded, even if it's not, you know, even if it's purely um, kind of like fear and fantasy. Uh, And this is very much one of those kinds of scenes where uh, she arrives late, uh, like seemingly uninvited to a party, uh, even though you know that there's no indication that this actually was some kind of party. You know that there, there weren't any invitations. It just just so happens that she wasn't uh, a part of it. Uh, but she's kind of feeling like excluded, you know, a little bit, uh, and feeling kind of awkward. The person who comes a little bit late, uh, and so there's a like. Er- there's a lot of like really like choice remarks that are exchanged in a uh, a very short segment of text. Uh, 
And then you get a sense that Shifeng kind of redirects the conversation in a little bit. Apparently, Shifeng recently received uh, kind of what in the Hawks is a very like literal transla- translation of the Chinese um, tribute tea. So there's a sense that there there is a uh, a an official visitor from Siam, right? Which is at this time would be a pretty um, significant distance, and he had he brought you know, a tea from that region. And, and there's a sense that uh, most of them don't like the tea. And, and so there's it all kinds of like really, uh, every comment in this interchange, in, in this interchange is like, uh, like dripping with, um, you know, like subtle, very like polite accusation. Right. There's a, there's a sense that maybe, you know, they're just pawning this tea off on Dayu uh, because they don't really like it or not, or maybe uh, her Dayu's palate isn't as um, developed as the rest of them, and so she's able to, you know, uh, tolerate this otherwise um, intolerable tea, right? Mm. I, yeah, I, I, I hadn't noticed it at first, but you're right that the way the scene plays out does. It's just full of small comments for the most part that are probably innocuous in their own right, but feed into that sense she has of being just slightly slightly kind of victimized, maybe. You know, she she does worry about being the outsider, about maybe, you know, no one liking her and and being the butt of everyone's jokes. But then she's just a, a deeply sensitive person and very prone to anger or upset you see here the uh the kind of the vagaries of gift giving because on one hand uh the tea so so shifeng gives some of the tea to baoyu and she gives some to daiyu uh and baoyu says he doesn't like it at all uh and uh if i ever remember correctly you know uh daiyu says it's like all right i, I think the chinese is like hi how like uh you know like not great like 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 so so you know like so so okay um yeah. yeah 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 and and so because of this comment they're like well we we can give you all the tea uh at which point it seems you know it's no longer like really a a gift anymore it's more just like well nobody else likes it i guess you can have it all kind of thing at the same time that there's an indication that like oh oh by the way uh and when i'll have someone uh send it to you and maybe they'll give you a little a little task as well so it's not even necessarily a gift anymore there's a sense that maybe the rings attached and and so it's it's not entirely clear the extent to which this is uh Dayu's paranoia over interpreting and kind of uh yeah like, like uh, kind of imagining things that aren't there or whether this really is a case of you know because we know that Shifang is this um, sort of conniving uh, like character in all of this. And, and so maybe she is trying to uh, wring some concessions, right? She she often has uh, an agenda, doesn't she? So... Yeah. <laughs> and so Dayu makes a joke of it, right? She says, do you hear that, everybody? Because she's giving me a bit <laughs> of her old tea, I have to start doing odd jobs for her. And uh, this is a terrible mistake, clearly. You mm-hmm. never try and spar verbally with, with Shifeng. Um, <laughs> because she responds, well, that's fair enough. You know the rule. Drink the family's tea, the family's bride-to-be. You know, So um, 
she's I guess we can't really tell here um, in this scene whether she's saying genuinely that you know Dayu may be a future bride for Baoyu or whether she is suggesting that merely in order to mock her you know mm-hmm. um, um, and that like such a thing is is actually out of the question uh, you know in the original it's less of a kind of it comes across as less of a, a little like uh, you know Hawks renders it as this almost like this little poem right but it, it's in the original it's the, the implication is uh, something like you're you already drank RT she's portrayed as um, I think a bit of a like a, a moocher like a uh, like a, a drain on, on the family or you know like someone like maybe even like a, a one of the Klingerons that we we've been we've seen so far. Oh, I see. I see. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it might also be a little bit of like, uh, like a, a question of like it's it's presumptuous even to think that you, uh, in the end, would be paired with Bao Yu. I, I'm not sure how like you know how deep the knife goes, so to speak. Um, but it, it is kind of a a stinging comment, which is no doubt. Um, derivable, at least in part, from uh, Shifeng's knowledge, probably, of um, her affection, of Dai Yu's affection for Bao Yu. Well, yeah, I mean, it's common enough, isn't it, to, to you know, mock, uh, you know, teenagers using the idea that they might, you know, be, be attracted to one another. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that being a common subject of mockery, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so it could just be harmless enough, or it could be there could be something more to it. Uh, you know, Dayu, in her usual way, quickly loses her temper when when kind of gently mocked in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, <laughs> so Shifeng follows up, and she says, "You know, <laughs> isn't he good enough for you? Good looks, good family, good income. There are no snags that I can see. It's a perfect match." <laughs> and so. I mean, look. This is brutal. Um, this is something that's going to start coming up more and more in in the ensuing chapters. You know that they're, they're very much leaving um, childhood behind and entering early adulthood, and so there will be more talk of genuine mm. romantic attachment between Baoyu, Dayu on the one hand, but also between Baoyu and Baochai, and the opinions of their family um, in relation to these two attachments and of course you know marriage at this in this society uh occurs you know at a relatively um young age so this isn't some kind of like in our society it's like a distant prospect for you know um uh, for people this age but for them it's very much you know on the like the, the immediate uh horizon yeah, exactly. So even though they may be only 13 or 14, it's the kind of thing that might happen in, you know, three or four mm-hmm. years' time or something, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dayu storms off. Um, and then Balchai, who's normally the, the one who kind of um, acts almost as mediator, um, you know, she's always the conciliatory voice. She calls after her to come back. But she doesn't use her name. She uses this nickname that Baoyu gave her, right? So he 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 called her Frowner the first time he met her, uh, Pin Pin, and so Baochai uses a variant of this name, Pinar. So like a kind of 
a diminutive form of Frau. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and that I think only seems to make her <laughs> more angry. I think. Yeah, it's like I guess it's like Frauty. You know, mm. like like a Frauty. Hey, yeah. hey, Frauty, Frauty face, maybe something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can imagine it in a kind of sing-song voice as well, which would somehow make it all the more kind of infuriating. Uh, <laughs> and so this is a brutal, yeah, you know, a brutal kind of um, chapter for, you know, the, the, the heroine of our of our tale. Um, Xi Feng being the anti-heroine. At this point, Xi Feng has to depart. Um, but on the way, she says that I, you know, actually Bao Yu has called you back. He says he wants to say something to you. You know, he, he has something to say to you. So she sends her off back in the direction from which she came. And Xi Feng goes away, you know, to deal with some other business. And so from this kind of um, very like ordinary domestic scene with a bit of kind of generally lighthearted mocking, we suddenly shift into this kind of darkly violent scene. Yeah. You know, I've been reading some HP uh, Lovecraft lately. And so this was very like, well, mm. did I like, did I like uh, shuffle my... Uh, my reading material around all of a sudden it gets kind of uh yeah like uh, horrific and sinister <laughs> yeah so so he um Bayou and Dayu are alone together Bayou takes her by the hand he smiled and smiled but said nothing Dayu felt herself blushing and tried to break away and then he cries out you know that his there's this pain in his head um and you know suddenly lets out a dreadful cry and begins you know the the this kind of madness this sudden madness yeah he's he's like he's babbling deliriously you know he's speaking uh nonsense or you know unintelligible words and it's even said at this point that uh you know the, uh Dayu and the maids run off to uh you know inform the you know the parental figures in fact um and then there's a, a remark that by the time they arrived, he'd already tried to kill himself several times and was raving like a madman. And so I, I was trying to imagine, like, well, how would uh, Bao Yu try to kill himself in this state? Would he, uh, like, I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to, like, interpret this scene because uh, it happened so suddenly. Yeah, I think in his case, it's suggested it's also with a knife. Um, yeah, and I'm reading here. So, na dao nong zhang. It's a cheng yu. It's a, a set expression. Um, which, so it's it's like it's, I guess it's brandishing uh, just any kind of weapon, uh, like a variety of weapons. The uproar is it's described as nao da tian fan di fu. So like um, like causing enough kind of chaos or carnage to. Uh, overturn heaven and you know turn turn i suppose turn heaven and earth on on their head and then in the, in the dictionary i'm reading through it it has this this very passage which is often the case when you when you you find these um a lot of these if you search for these expressions uh online you can often find uh like references to the very text we're reading i i think yeah, the origin of the expression is 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 Honglomong itself, right? It's it, or either the origin or the you know it's uh, most famous for this particular usage. It's really it's kind of amazing. 
genuinely it's a bit like Shakespeare in that respect that it seems to have given quite a lot of verse common phrases to the language anyway th this causes a great uproar in the house and everyone family members and servants uh, come running right uh -huh. um, yeah everyone basically and and there's kind of quite a lot of chaos going on and, and nobody really knows what to do and then suddenly Wang Xifeng appears right and she herself has a gleaming knife in one hand mm -hmm. um you know it's this uh the knife is described as like ming huang huang yeah so like um ming being kind of shining and huang huang describing yeah like really it's uh it's like glistening somehow um and you imagine that it's well in my mind it's not just the the, the natural sheen of the blade but it's it's kind of slick with blood i imagine okay yeah that's Something also the like that. the image i was sort of um i'd conjured as well because she's already um murdered uh several chickens and also a few dogs mm -hmm. uh yeah which is like a kind of a, an amazing detail yeah, like that's just sort of passed over really quickly <laughs> yeah some some uh unlucky chickens and dogs have got in her way um so i mean it's it's kind of quite like in the chinese it's it uses this formulation like uh sha so it's like see a chicken mm -hmm. kill a chicken see a dog kill a dog and then after that it's jianran so she saw people right and at that point like you know her eyes like we imagine they kind of spread wide like she kind of her stare fixates on 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 some she sees and but luckily there are some uh, hefty and resourceful women servants on hand who are able to <clears throat> to grab her restrain her and get the knife out of her hand nobody knows what to do because it's the the very kind of placid and pleasant domesticity has been utterly shattered by this sudden injection of like uh abrupt and arbitrary violence did you I wanted to ask you, do you think that the difference between Bao Yu and Shifeng's reaction to the curse is a reflection of their characters? It seemed sort of emblematic that Bao Yu, you know, in this kind of moment would turn the, the fury on himself. Because that, that seems kind of consistent with his character. Yeah, it's a good Whereas Shifeng kind of uh, very much uh, projects, you know, this like this, this hateful uh, like madness outward. That, that kind of like that seems to jive with there. Maybe there's a kind of psychoanalytical, uh, or or at least a, a psychological component to all of this. I do think it's very interesting the way that the, their their violent desires are projected mm -hmm. in completely different directions. I don't know what to make of it though. Um, well, the the impact of this sudden this you know emergence of like a violence is everyone has an idea for what they should do but nobody uh, you kind of imagine everyone speaking over each other no one's in charge nobody's kind of taking control um and a kind of collective mm. panic or mm -hmm. hysteria has set in you know so so um uh, in the hawks it says some said an exorcist should be called to expel the malignant spirits some said it required a dancing medium to draw out the spirits some offered charm sheets invoking the demon-quelling powers of the Heavenly Master and issued under the hand of the Taoist Pontiff. 
yet in spite of prayers, incantations, divination, and all the expedients that faith and physic could provide, there was no visible improvement in the condition of the patients. So they're kind of, <laughs> they're throwing everything. They're throwing everything mm -hmm. they can come up with at this problem. I guess, yeah, grandmother or uh, godmother Ma's magic is just too good, which is not what I was expecting, mm. you know, based on her sesame oil grift at the beginning of the chapter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so this goes on for a few days, right? And uh, they, they've kind of, the um, the afflicted parties are kind of bedridden, uh, delirious, sick, and, and there's some concern that, you know, they might be approaching death even, right? Yeah, so, so I mean, they have uh, visits from concerned relatives, and everyone sends their own different, you know, diagnoses. So bottled charm water, wonder-working monks and Taoists, and highly recommended physicians were also sent round the mansion to the mansion by various friends and relations. But the cousins continued delirious, lay on their beds, burning with fever and babbling incomprehensibly. You know, th there's a weird detail as well that uh, Jia She, the older brother of Jia Zheng, you know, is actually more um, active in, in kind of um, searching for remedies. Whereas, like, like Jia Zheng is almost yeah. kind of resigned to the possibility that Bao Yu might die. Yeah, yeah. So, so as you said, Jia She and Jia Zheng are brothers, right? Um, Jia She being the father-in-law of Wang Xifeng, one of the two who are babbling, and Jia Zheng, as we said, being the father of Bao Yu. Um, and Jia She always, was always described as a, mm -hmm. a rather middling sort of person, I think. Uh, whereas Jia Zheng, although he's very stern and strict, we do think is a bit more of a kind of... Um, he's perhaps achieved a bit more with his life. He's, he's you know, maybe has his head screwed on a bit more. Um, um, but it, yeah, as you say, it's it's Jia Zheng who just completely goes to pieces. Um, he kind of gives up pretty early. Yeah, so I wonder if that's kind of a reflection of his contempt for Bao Yu, that he he's a little bit more uh, blasé about the outcome of this affair. Well, maybe he thinks he still has another son, Jia Huan. Oh. So, huh. you know, maybe he <laughs> maybe it's just as coldly calculating as that. He's not so bothered if. Oh, that's you know, interesting. If he loses one, or maybe it's that he's already he has already lost one son. His eldest, Jia Zhu, died prior to the start of the novel. So we don't know much about the circumstances of his death. Um, and so in a way, his um, his uh, attitude is comparable to the attitude that uh, Aunt Zhao uh, lets slip, right? So she's trying to play the part of the grieving, you know, like a uh, relative. But of course... She, this this is all her doing, uh, and so she she has mm. kind of s similar to Jia Zheng, she has remarks to the effect that you know s these kinds of things are going to happen once in a while. You know, don't take it too hard. And she's speaking this way to mm. grandmother Jia, who uh, does not respond favorably to her attitude. You almost maybe get the sense that maybe she's reading between the lines a little bit. Maybe she even suspects that uh, Aunt Zhao was uh, responsible in some in some ways or another. Yeah, so so 
uh, there's like in the preceding paragraph it's saying that kind of everyone is um, in this terribly sorrowful state you know Grandmother Jia, Lady Wang, Jia Lian, patients in aroma, so two of them maid servants, had cried themselves into a state bordering on prostration. Um, only Aunt Jia was cheerful, though she did her best to look miserable. And yeah, so she she's um, in the Chinese, Wai Mian Jia Zuo You Chou. So like, externally, she pretended to appear uh, anxious and concerned. Xin uh, Zhong, in her heart, Chen Yuan, she was. I think gratified at another's misfortune. You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. like a secretly, secretly pleased of with course, the way things yeah. have turned out. Um, so she she's putting on this air of being terribly sad about the whole thing. Um, but you know, maybe it's time to let them go, kind of thing. Um, and as as you say, that completely sets off Grandmother Jia. She she is uh, furious mm -hmm. at this. And she to return to the the leitmotif for the chapter, Grandmother Jia spits in her face. <laughs> I also failed to she mention does. that at one point uh, during the argument, uh, it's also referenced that Dai Yu spits, not like in anyone anyone's face, but kind of in a to the side, you know, for effect. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. In, in the Hawks, it's really funny. It's a, no empty gesture. It was a full gob of spittle. <laughs> yeah. So she read it. Yeah. She she spits right in in. Aunt Zhao's face is suggesting this. Um, I, thought, I thought that was pretty funny. And so she, Grandmother Zhao, she kind of knows that uh, Aunt Zhao has caused this, but she can't put, she maybe can't put mm -hmm. her finger on why she can't put it into words, but she has this feeling that it's, that it's her fault. You know, she says, you know, if he dies, I'll hold you responsible. If he dies, don't imagine that you will escape me. And at that moment, two servants come in announcing that, uh, the two coffins that had been ordered were now ready. And this makes her even more upset, you know. Who ordered these coffins to be made? Where's the <laughs> man who made them? <laughs> Go get me the man who made okay. these coffins and flog him to death. You know, so she's... Um... But fortunately, the coffin maker is spared by... Um... <laughs> There's the, the, Her raving is interrupted by... We hear a faint kind of tock, tock noise. And a high monotone chant, mm -hmm. and so this is, as we mentioned, this is the 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 Taoist and the Buddhist who um, are these, yeah, mysterious, mystical figures who appear and disappear mm -hmm. from the plot at kind of unex unexpected points. We haven't seen them for a little while, have we? Um, yeah, it's been maybe. Was it the last time with uh, Jerry? I think it was, yeah. The last time we, we saw the Taoist only with uh, when, when yeah, Jerry was um, suffering from his own kind of spiritual illness. He was the one who provided the jeweled mirror, the two-sided mirror, which would have cured him if he'd followed the instructions, mm -hmm. but he didn't. So they're described as, um, in the Chinese, a lai heshang and a bo daoshi. So Lai means kind of like leprous, mm -hmm. scabrous. Hershang is a Buddhist monk. Bo uh, Daoshi means a lame Taoist uh, priest. Uh, so, you know, kind of in some way physically disabled, I guess. Um, we think in this case it's because he has one leg shorter than the other. Um, right. Well, that's what the poems suggest. Would you like to read one of the poems describing yes. these characters? Um, 
So as for the uh, Buddhist monk, the, the hawk's rendering of the poem reads as follows. A bottle nose he had and shaggy brows, through which peeped eyes that twinkled like bright stars. His robe was patched and torn, his feet straw shod, his unclean pate blotched with unsightly scars. Uh, and then as for the Taoist, we have uh, up down he hopped on his unequal legs from mud and puddle, not a stitch left dry. Yet if you asked him where his dwellings lie, westward of paradise, he would reply. I think they're I think they're quite good uh, quite good renderings of the poems. You know, they they there's a kind of like a strongly rhythmical sing song element to them mm, uh, okay. in the original yeah. Chinese, and they match pretty closely his uh, uh, the original. I think the one difference I'd uh, I'd highlight is in the Hawks, the Taoist is described. He says up down he hopped on his unequal legs. In the Chinese, it's yizu gao lai yizu di. So it's like one foot one long leg mm. followed by one short leg something like that so yeah you get you get a very like clear visual impression of of, um, of what they're like and we've talked a little bit about uh the kind of the especially in the Taoist case but also i i think in buddhist traditions uh this sort of uh, imagined connection between uh between physical kind of uh deviation from the norm and uh, spiritual capacity. So you see that a lot in, in texts like the Drongza, which emphasizes sages with hunchbacks or with missing feet. Um, and even in a lot of the, uh, if not in the explicit mm. Confucian material, which tends to emphasize um, kind of uh, like the morality of uh, like bodily as well as spiritual perfection and completion. Uh, actually, in a lot of the mythological stories, like of like of, of Yao and Shun, which have a, a kind of a pre-Confucian um, origin, there's the same uh, emphasis on um, non-standard physical attributes, like having like a, a double pupil or, um, hmm. or or walking with a like a limp or having an unusual gait. And I think that, yeah, that's the case here, right? You have the the one kind of um, scarred um, from from leprosy or, or, or some other kind of um, disease and the other, yeah, with a, a clear kind of physical disability. Um, and the both of them very kind of dirty and tattered, um, having no regard for the kind of, rules of propriety of the world and so we hear them outside and uh jia zheng the, the bao yu's father he goes to invite them in um but because he's so kind of um he's so steeped in um rules of i guess yeah convention propriety tradition he um he kind of almost trips over himself you know so it says he, he invited them in and asked them what monastery they were from. The monk was genially dismissive. There is no need for your worship to waste time on formalities. Suffice it to say that I heard you had sickness in this house and have come to cure it. Um, and then he goes on, Jia Zhang goes on. 
Two members of this family have indeed fallen victims to some kind of witchcraft. Might one inquire what charm you intend to cure them with? Charm? The monk laughed. You already possess in your own house a precious object capable of curing them. What other charm is necessary? And so he's speaking, of course, about the, the magic stone that Balyu has <clears throat> worn around his neck. But, but we find out that its power has been somehow kind of occluded or um, blocked by its experience in the in the um, the material world and it needs you know it needs a bit of a service before it can you know you got to change the oil you know it's almost like uh like a, a therapy session but for the stone <laughs> yeah. right yeah and so he ends up kind of talking to the stone a little bit like, do you remember what you are it's mm. it's really funny uh in no way is is Bao is Bao Yu directly uh, involved in this exchange. It's it's purely uh, at the level of the of this artifact. He has to give the the, the magic stone a pep talk, basically. Um, yeah. And so yeah, he 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 asked Jia Zhang to go and get the stone and bring it to him. Um, so he does, and then um, yeah, the the Taoist speaks to the stone and we hear that it's been 13 years since they they last met and so that takes us right back to the beginning of the novel when they do in fact you know the the Taoist and the buddhist meet and because we know at this point that balyu is 13 years old it's makes very clear that the the kind of parallel between the stone and balyu as kind of you know one and the same somehow Anyway, so he, he, he speaks to the stone and, and there are these two poems which I think we could read aloud. Okay, yeah. So, time was, you lived in perfect liberty, your heart alike from joy and sorrow free, till by the smelter's alchemy transformed into the world you came to purchase misery. And then he goes on, vain sensual joys the jade's sheen have besmirched, the poor bird droops, in its close prison perched. From drunken dreaming, one day you'll recover. Then, when all debts are paid, the play will soon be over. Hmm. And so he kind of, through these words and through some other kind of chanting and, and, and muttering, restores it to its full power. Did you notice that a lot of these images uh, are paralleled in Baoyu's poem? His, uh, his like seasonal poems from a few chapters back uh yeah. like for instance the the reference to the uh, like the the cage in which he's you know the, the trapped uh in the original it's the the kun yuanyang and so the trapped uh mandarin ducks symbolizing uh, mandarin um, duck, yeah. kind of rom romantic attachment um yeah and even the the image of you know being in a dream and waking from uh like waking to or waking from sobriety a lot of these images uh kind of already emerged in Baoyu's poems where he is you know where he's weak with wine and he you know he wakes and he needs tea to uh to kind of regain his senses it's almost as if like it's through like the medium of poetry that he is like his like divine essence is uh like you know kind of showing through is revealing itself yeah yeah i i definitely agree with that um there's quite there's quite some interesting stuff in here um i mean the 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 idea that 
the sheen of the stone. The power of the stone has been kind of impeded by the the dirt of the world. That comes through, right? So the, the line that's like uh fun zhuhan. So fun. Fun being like dust here. Powder kind of powder, I guess. But specifically the kind of the powder associated with uh like makeup with like especially female like makeup products. Yeah, yeah. So so exactly. So fun means kind of stained with 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 uh powder but of a kind of yeah makeup style mm-hmm. and then zhuhan. So marks hun being kind of marks or traces and zhu being literally grease but again used to mean makeup here, right? You know, it's um we've talked before about how Bayou likes to bizarrely eat the the lipstick that women that women wear um and that that lipstick is the same thing here it's true you know it's um presumably because some kind of element of like fat or grease is used in making the making the makeup um and actually the the maid that uh hawks is translating as emerald is behan and so it's the same it's like a the same sort of like traces of I I think it's referencing the kind of the um uh like the veins of the of the emerald. Uh so it's the same image I think of this kind of um the lingering effects of beauty sort of thing. So these things, the Fanzu and Zhuhan, the the powder and the grease, uh have Wu Bao Guang. So Wu being kind of to pollute mm-hmm. something like that. And then Baoguang is you precious, literally like a precious light, mm-hmm. precious sheen, something like that, basically. And so, yeah, it's the real sense that the thing that's been impeding the stone's power is the, yeah, what, what Hawks calls vain sensual joys is, I think, about about right, you know. Uh, or you, you could even say it's, you know, what, what what's being alluded to is the, you know, the the red chambers, the, the Hong Lo Meng, and all that that uh, symbolizes and... Uh, represents and then in that last line the idea of the the deaths here the term is um yuan jai so jai is like a debt basically um yuan is kind of evil but it also kind of has a sense of like karmic evil there's a that that sort of quality to it and and we've seen it before in previous chapters like for example in chapter five when balyu has this grand dream sequence um, and meets this fairy in the land of illusion. She says that she's responsible for for love debts. So it's the same. It's the same kind of idea, right? Um, once this debt is repaid in full, so it's Chang uh, uh then San Chang, which means to kind of to leave the arena, to leave the stage. The performance will be over. You know that kind of thing. Um, so. We und- I guess the 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 point that we're supposed to take from this is that the the stone's existence on Earth is um, the result of some debt that it owes that it must repay through it through a lifetime. Is that kind of what you understand from it? Um, you know, it, it parallels the 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 repayment of debt that. Uh the crimson pearl mm. uh promises to repay uh Bao Yu. Um but at the same time is my sense is that this is kind of a, a standard like 
Buddhist explanation for the very existence of life in the first place, where yeah, it, it is kind of like a uh, like a transcendental debt uh, to be like sort of distinguished from the uh, the sort of the worldly debt that we actually saw in this very chapter. The IOU, yeah. So it's kind of an interesting. Um, that's probably a conscious parallelism. So the ex- human existence here is all about like life life in in the human world is somehow the 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 repayment of debt some debt through your acts on earth something like that yeah yeah well anyway he he <laughs> he uh, the 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 taoist um having spoken to the stone <laughs> and um having rubbed it and polished it between his hands and muttered some strange-sounding words over it, declares that its power has been restored. And so his his instruction is that it should be hung over the threshold of the bedroom that both Bao Yu and Xi Feng are sleeping in. And let no women apart from the patient's own mother and grandmother go inside. Mm. So if they do that, then there will be a complete recovery within 33 days. And so it, it, there's a, mm-hmm. there is a really strong parallel to what happens in chapter 12 with Jia Rei, isn't there? Because there he, his um, attempts to seduce Wang Xifeng and his abject failure in doing so have led to him taking to bed and, you know, like falling into this state of ever greater weakness that no medicine seems to be able to cure him of. And we have a, the Taoist appears and gives him this magical mirror and says, you must look into this mirror, um, only into this side, not into the other side, uh, for three days. And if you do that, your sickness will be cured. Um, and so in that case, it's three days, whereas in this case, it's 33 days. So maybe it's a much more severe illness. But, but either way, we understand that there's some kind of mystical significance in, the, in numbers related to three, I guess. I was going to ask you whether you think there's a, a, an element of satire here. In, in each case, uh, the the troubles are being attributed to uh, lust and uh, sexual desire and uh, an attraction and the, the affairs of the heart and so on and so forth. But when you actually go to the like the the concrete circumstance, especially for this case, maybe. Maybe uh, Jare, it's a bit of a more, it's it's a little bit more ambiguous. But here, it's very clear that the origin of the, the conflict is this sort of, this fighting for power in, in a very, uh, like, uh, in a way that's uh, detached from any kind of libidinal concerns, right? It's 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 a, a clear and, and pretty plain power grab on, on the part of Jiahuan's mother, Right, it has nothing to do with uh, Bao Yu's affection for Dai Yu or for Bao Chai or or for whomever. Really, uh, it's entirely a consequence of this of this kind of familial uh, like uh, like vying for power, um, and, and so it makes me wonder uh, how to treat this sort of. It seems it seems like a tension, right, um, and whether the author is coming down on one side or the other because i I mean it seems like a major part of the story is 
you know, uh, of lamenting. It's the tragic inability of Dai Yu and uh, Bao Yu to, you know, to uh, exercise their love unimpeded. But then when you try, when you take that and you try to bring it together with the the Buddhist themes, it, it's they're they're kind of at odds, and so you you start to wonder, you know, like who like who gets the final say, which like metaphysical yeah. system? Yeah, I think there's a confusing mixture of different and often not consistent um, kind of spiritual belief systems, or or, but maybe that reflects the, the you know the the way that these things actually do work in, in, in real life, you know? Okay. Yeah. Or, or, you know, maybe we like, you know, there's a, maybe it's a modern um, imposition to even look for a, like a, a kind of a moral to the story would really, it, it seems as if this is more a description of like, of either a happening or um, an imagined series of events and to the extent that the uh you know the uh this kind of this buddhist or these the taoist uh belief systems enter into it it's only as a way to kind of um like with a sigh affirm that you know this is just the way things are and you know life is suffering and uh just be glad it doesn't last forever i kind of um maybe like a kind of like stoicism with a a, a mystical or a transcendental uh, veneer to it. Mm. I'm not sure what to make of it. I, I guess, um, I, I do think that in some cases there's a implied satire, um, but um, I don't know whether this is actually played almost with a straight face. Um, okay. Uh, I can't tell. Okay. I can't tell. So, we're basically done with uh, this chapter, but there's one final scene where it's like the final, like, you know, like Daiyu cannot catch a break in this chapter. And so um, when finally uh, Bao Yu starts to recover, you know, uh, Daiyu has a passing remark where in the Hawks is rendered, bless his holy name, like, a, like kind of like a, like, oh, thank God, basically. And then <laughs> after all this, uh, uh, Bao Chai laughs and, and like, what, why, why are you laughing at her? Uh, and she makes a remark like, well, can you imagine how busy, you know, the Holy One would be? How can he have time to, you know, to attend to this one small affair among all the other ones? I mean, and she specifically mentions, you know, he has to protect the sick and hasten their recovery, not to mention watching over plighted couples to make sure that they marry and live happily ever after. Uh, you know, and so I think it's like that comment particularly that's kind of the barb um, that, that that stings um, or that pierces Dayu. And so then Dayu's response is like, "Okay, I see what's going on. You've all learned from Shifang uh, how to how to be uh, kind of um, how to mock me. Uh, you know, this yeah, it's not constant uh, mockery." Um. Yeah. <laughs> and so she I think she flounces out doesn't she she kind of um, yeah you know, throws her arms up in the air and, and, and marches out so that's the second dramatic exit for one chapter <laughs> not bad you know how um, there are some people who just have a, a really like signature move like uh, <laughs> I've forgotten who it is but like you know there are some people who are really good at like uh, in like 
there are characters in soap operas, for example, who are really, really good at like slapping other characters, and like you can find whole compilations of them just like slapping different people, you know, or like uh, throwing drinks in people's face. Like that's their go-to move. Okay. Um, and Dayu's go-to move, I think, is to storm out. You know, that's you know, if if we were to compile all of the scenes with her I th- throughout the novel, I expect the one that we may see among the most frequent is the. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the angrily storm out of the room <laughs> I mean if this were like a fighting video game that'd be hard to render like if you, yeah. you, you press like BA BBA and then you like you uh, you leave the screen for a second <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's where we leave it um, until next time when we will be looking at chapter 26 a conversation on wasp waste bridge is a cover for a communication of a different kind and a soliloquy overheard in the Nyad's house reveals unsuspected depths of feeling. And so this is actually the the final uh, chapter in the first volume of the Hawks translation. So that's another kind of important milestone that uh, we are uh, we'll be uh, celebrating next week on rereading the stone. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Um, be sure to uh, comment and critique. You can find us on Twitter at uh, Rereading Stone or on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash rereading the stone. Um, uh, have a good one and, uh, and bye-bye. Bye-bye.